I would say 70% of my clientele today is anxiety. It's anxiety. And it's like, but I tell them there's nothing wrong with your life. I know, but, but I think it would be inauthentic to pretend that I'm not suffering with everybody else. It's not a burden. It's not a punishment. And if it is, you're doing it wrong. If everything is suffering, you're doing it wrong. The people that are downtrodden are the people who have no boundaries. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you for joining us. And thank you for all your feedback and and how you felt uplifted in our last couple of episodes since October 7th and the aftermath. We're actually still in it, but how we can be uplifted and feel inspired, be compassionate, how to have courage and conviction and stand strong, how to deal with all the highs and lows and also feel the pain of a fellow Jew and bring light at the same time. All those mixed emotions, how we can actually stay grounded and feel like we are being the best versions of ourselves and giving in a way that's actually going to help our inner world and in our own families and in turn um, help our people in Israel, the soldiers, the captives that we want to see alive and well and for Am Israel and for Eretz Israel. So thank you for all the feedback. We, Ida and I know that it has helped us too. So in turn, it, it doesn't surprise us that it does for you too, because when it comes from the heart, it enters the heart. And so all our guests that we've had, we felt the energy and we felt the authenticity. So we want to thank our guests as well. And today we did another Insta Live. We had done one with Rabbi Shays Taub and we had hundreds of people on there and got such beautiful responses in how it helped so many with faith and betachon during these times. And so we decided to do one as well with Sarit Shair, who lives in Israel. And we have interviewed her before. She is a one-of-a-kind healer. She is extremely inspiring. We had her as a guest on our podcast a couple months back, episode 71, The Truth We Need to Hear and Often Don't Want to, Intuitive Healing with Sarit Shair. We had phenomenal feedback and we wanted her back, especially because many people have approached Sarit because she's actually living in Israel. People from all over the world have reached out to her to ask her, how could we feel that feeling of healing while living in these tumultuous times? We did a live with her. We had great beautiful wisdom, especially coming from a woman and, you know, the female perspective of faith and trust and and how to heal during these times. So we loved it and we gained so much from it. And everyone who's on the live did too. And we had many requests to save it. And for you haven't haven't heard it yet, it's worthwhile. And I'm going to listen again. How about you, Ida? I gained a lot from it. I think most of us Look, we're experiencing the full range of emotions right now after October 7th, and uh, we all are processing this differently. And I know for some people, it's much harder than others. And the one thing that really struck me that came up for me in the conversation was a question, actually. And the question is, is what do you value more than your pain? Because none of us can escape the inevitable pains of life. But if we remember that there's something bigger than the pain, there's something bigger that we strive for that that can steer us away from letting the pain get the better of us. It's very easy to kind of get sucked into um, into this vortex of, of sadness and depression. But we have to remember that that's not accomplishing anything positive for us. Of course, that we, we feel... By the way, not, not only sadness and depression, but also anger, because we're living with a lot of anti-Semitism. And I think she really helped us define what what anger means as well. It's kind of another yeah, perspective. Yeah, I would say like being consumed by the negative emotions that and don't 
enable us to to heal in a healthy way. That, so I think what Sarit brings to at least what Sarit helped me process is, I mean, Sarit's an energy healer. So she really can, she's an empath. And as an empath myself, it was helpful for me to speak to her and to get her insight on how an empath processes something of this magnitude. It's like when we put ourselves in each other's shoes and and someone is suffering so much, how do we put ourselves in a position to be able to help them without being so overwhelmed and consumed by the grief that they're experiencing? So that's the the lens that I was coming to this conversation with. And uh, she, you know, Sarita is extremely talented, very gifted, intelligent, intuitive. And I think she has so much to offer as is evident by the amount of people who have been trying to uh, reach out to her. She's help, also very, course, very learned, and she has a lot of emunah and betachon. And I think that's one of the things that we really need during these times. And I, I love that to get the female perspective from her. Yeah. And I, I think she's also very transparent and direct, and I like that too. She gets straight to the point. Yeah, and she's one person. Of course, she doesn't have she doesn't have the capacity or the time to work with the amount of people who want to work with her. And that's why we bring her here to this platform so that you can hopefully, you know, learn something from what she has to share and, and apply it in your own life in order to uh, to heal and to become healthier emotionally and psychologically, physically, mentally, whatever it is that you're looking to to change and improve in your life. In the, Within the discussion today, we were talking about the importance of self-care for, for us women, like not to feel guilty about taking care of yourself and also to remember that there are many businesses around us that are suffering right now because everyone is, their hearts and their minds are in Israel. But then there are many people around us who, whose businesses have lost a lot due to our hearts and minds being where they are. And um, to keep in mind that we want to support our local businesses and we want to also take care of ourselves so that we contrib- can contribute and help everyone in pain in the best way that we can. Well, you mentioned businesses. My Actually, my sister who has a children's a children's shoe boutique in Jerusalem. She had closed for a, a number of weeks because of what's going on, and and she just reopened. And thank God, you know, you, we see Jerusalem slowly going back to normal. So I just want to give a shout out to my sister Sivia, who a shout out to Sivia TSW Shoe. I think it's TSWShoes.com, and they actually shipped in, ship internationally. So just a quick shout out to my sister. Yes, and she has built sister. up an amazing business and I've stayed at her house and she's a hu- she's hustling and she's grown that business. It's amazing. And I'm so glad that it's it's back in action. She's a wonder woman. Yes. Agreed. Okay. The biggest heart and Hachnasas Archem. Really amazing. Parsha, we, we've been speaking all about Avraham and kindness and guests. So it's a good person to mention. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and her husband also owns a restaurant there that was also closed for the last few weeks uh, because of what's going on. But he actually spent that time in his restaurant preparing sandwiches for the Israeli army, for the Israeli troops and sending them delicious food. So shout out to Yassi Wunsch and the Red Heifer restaurant in Yerushalayim. And uh, yeah, I have an amazing family. Thank God. Today's episode is sponsored by Basi B, a very gifted and talented artist who actually did our makeup for several episodes and, uh, and did an incredible hair. job. And our wigs. And our wigs, yes. Um, so Bossy's vision is to make you look and feel your best for all occasions, whether it's doing hair and makeup for your uh, occasion, for your simcha, or helping you find the wig of your dreams. Um, she actually specializes in wig cuts, color, and all repairs. So she makes sure each customer gets the individualized attention needed for your wig. 
to reflect and enhance your beautiful self. And I have to say, I am a very, very happy customer. So thank you, Bussy, for partnering with with us. Um, it was I only met you recently. It was lovely to meet you, and so nice to hear that you listen to our podcast and are part of our community. And this time, thank you for partnering with us. And I hope many people come and do some self care and get their makeup done by you and their hair. And I know you also sell wigs, and you definitely bring out, you know, from the inside out. I just I felt really good when you did my makeup and hair. So thank you. So if you want to check Bussy out, you can check her out on Instagram at bassie.b, B-A-S-S-I-E dot B, and uh, see some of her amazing work. Okay, enjoy. Hi, I'm Rifka. And I'm Ida. Welcome to From the Inside Out, now a global community that keeps growing every day thanks to each and every one of you. Right here is where you'll discover life-changing insights from some of the world's greatest thinkers, leaders, and our everyday heroes. We believe that meaningful change comes from taking inspiration and turning it into action. In fact, that's how this podcast was created, in an Uber, where we were both inspired by each other's life experiences and how much we could learn from each other. We're so glad you've joined our conversation today. The path to meaningful change starts right here, right now. Hi, everyone. Hi, Sarah. How are you? Welcome. How are you? Welcome, welcome. You is the question. (laughs) We're good. It's funny, you know, I feel like, you know, like when a woman is in labor and everyone around the woman that's in labor is freaking out because they're not experiencing it. They're outside of the woman in labor. And it feels like Eretzisro is in labor and all of our brothers and sisters in Chutzah are, are, it's almost like a different kind of suffering because it's like, it's almost like you can't touch it and you want to be there and you want to hold your hand and you want to be part of it. But you know, you're in Chutzlars and I feel like some, in some ways it's even harder because I, I, I feel everyone's frustration and I can imagine what it's like if I was in Chutzlars and it was happening here, you know, it's like, it's like your, your family and it's like, there's nothing you can do and you feel so helpless. It's very hard. It's very, it's hard for us here and it's hard for us outside of here. And, but it's also so, so, and I hate to say this so beautiful because I've never, ever seen, and I've been through many wars in Israel. You know, we call them mini wars. I've never seen the, the level of camaraderie that there is now ever, even during COVID when like everybody was sure Mashiach was coming. Like I've never, ever seen what's happening here on the ground. The, the love, the, the, there's just no right. There's no left. There's no religious. There's no secular. There's no government. It's like the, the people that are fighting right now, the soldiers, their fathers, their brothers, their, their sisters, their, it's, it's, there's no IDF. It's Am Yisrael soldiers and the general of this war is HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That is the feeling. People who didn't know what Shema Yisrael was, everybody knows what Shema Yisrael is now. And, and it happened in 24 hours. In 24 hours, every single Israeli person knew what Shema Yisrael was. It's, it, it's just an amazing feeling. How do we hold on to that? I also feel like a part of why that, well, first of all, Jews unite somehow when we go through hard times, that's when everybody unites. But I was thinking about how Hamas, they didn't care if someone was religious, not religious, if, if someone actually helped them in Gaza, 
or help their children. If you're a Jew, you're gone. They didn't care what kind of but, Jew you were. But work. you know what is interesting, what they did care about and what they do notice, and we don't realize how much they noticed. They sent out a message saying, we saw the protest this summer, and we saw that this nation was torn in two. And we knew it was time, the right time to strike. So it's true that they don't care who we are. They don't notice if we do any good or not. But they do notice if we're united or not. And you know how it is, like divide and conquer. If you want to conquer someone, you divide them. That's what you do. I see that very often when I work with women who are living with narcissistic people or, or men who are living with narcissistic women. Usually the kids in the family, the narcissist creates a chasm between them and it makes sure that nobody is friends with anyone. Why? Because it's easier to control people that are not together. And, and that's what they saw. And now it feels so empowering because everyone is so united in such a fierce way that um, we're going to win. That's the feeling. The feeling here is this is the last time we ever have to deal with these people ever. This is the last time. And everyone's united. And, and the wool has been taken over, taken off of our, our, our face. We know exactly what we're dealing with. And, um, I, you know, people always ask me like, what is Geula? Like what we keep asking for Mashiach, like what is Geula? What is redemption? All it is, is awareness. That's all it is. The minute all of Am Yisrael have awareness of who is really running the show, that's when Geula comes. And that's actually what's happening right now, because people realized you can have have the strongest army in the world and for eight hours straight we were like sheep to the slaughter and there is nothing technical that's protecting us besides Hashem and like you said it doesn't matter how many good deeds you did it doesn't matter that you you know there was a woman there that was you know spent most of her life she moved to that area near Gaza to take you know Gazan children to the hospital every day and they kidnapped her too. Yes. It didn't matter. You know, it really didn't matter. And that, I, we often hear like when you go to Israel, at least like when I go there, I feel very safe and secure. But when you're watching the news from, you know, from abroad, it's so scary. Like you use the example of, of going into labor. It's like the person in labor is the one breathing through it. But the people around that person are in such agony because there's not much they could do to relieve the suffering. And I feel like that's how we feel outside of Israel. It's like, we're in such agony for for the people of Israel of what's going on. We're doing whatever we can, but we still feel this like this weight. And we have the unity and we have that positivity. But how can we, you know, how do we shift our energy to like the way you describe like this this feeling of you know we're together, we're su- we're supporting each other, like more of a, a an upbeat and positive, hopeful energy. Because I'm seeing a lot of negative energy too here. Listen, I think it's it's harder in, in America because. We kind of always knew what Hamas was about. Like every summer, kind of basically we have them like, you know, we lose soldiers. We have like a month long, every August it gets hot in Israel and we have these like mini wars. And then we lose like a couple of soldiers and then Israel kind of glosses over it and tries to move on and, and pretend like there's nothing wrong. But at the end of the day, like if you can't live in Israel and not turn over your shoulder and know that your enemy is right there. Whereas in America, there's that illusion of like, since the Holocaust, 
where it's like we go to university there, we work there, we look like everyone, um, we're a part of society. And I think that America's in a double shock than we are because they're not just dealing with by the way, it's not only like, America. There's Australia, right. there's countries all right. around the world. But I'm, I'm from New York, so right. everything is America. <laughs> well, I'm from Australia, so I'm giving a shout out to Australia. Exactly. It, reminds me of, it reminds me of when I was in seminary and I met and, and I met a girl. She was one of my roommates, Pesha. She's a good friend of mine. And I said to her, oh, where are you from? And I just meant like the tri-state area. Right. Queens, Long Island, you know, where else is there? So she goes, um, I'm from... Memphis and and I just slipped and I said oh you're not from America and she goes you're from New York right <laughs> and I'm like yeah well, I'm from New York we don't learn ge- geography there definitely not yeah <laughs> so I feel like I feel like um, like anyone outside of Israel is dealing is reeling with not just seeing their brothers being slaughtered in the most sadistic and sick way but they're also seeing their neighbors coming up against them and, and, and so much hatred. They're kind of like, I feel like everyone I speak to is like, Sarita, we're jealous of you in Israel. Like we, in a weird way, it sounds strange. It's safer to be in Israel because at least here, you know, your enemies. Yeah. Whereas in America, like everyone is going through this double shock where they're realizing that Zionism is a new word for anti-Semitism, and it's just a cover up, you know, and that no, Nobody over there really welcomes us. And all you needed was a tiny distraction and everyone shows their true colors. It's, I think it's it's scary for people. Yeah. You no, know, I think it's, it's scary for anyone outside of Israel because they don't, they're in a foreign land at the end of the day. I, I was in LA and, and, and we were walking up with a broadwalk um, and someone was playing an instrument and I was with my husband. He, he was in his yarmulke and beard. And in the middle of the song, he stopped and he said, Shalom, dear friend. And um, I was like, oh, my gosh, he said Shalom. Like it, it became this unique thing that, wow, somebody actually cares. And my son, Someone was, in likes the airport. Us. <laughs> Someone liked my son was in the airport going back um, to, to Yeshiva and he was wearing his yarmulke. He called us from the airport and he said, there's hope. But somebody said, come here, um, my Jewish friend, I'm going to send you to the front. And someone not Jewish helps him as well. I think she's pinpoint. You're pinpointing something very important, and it's that's that in Israel, there's there's everyone's united against Hamas right now. In America, it's like we could be following someone that you've been following for a long time, even on social media, who you admire and respect, like a fellow American, and suddenly they're posting, you know, anti-Israel stuff, and it's so jarring because wait a minute, I thought. You know, I, liked had the, I liked you. I liked you. I like yeah. that celebrity. I admired that celebrity. A lot of people are even, I have to tell you what's even worse. I actually respect more the people that are speaking for whatever it is they believe in. I have a harder time with the silence because that to me is deafening. That's like, you know, a lot of like in Germany, when you, when you would ask the Germans, like what happened? And they'd be like, well, we didn't know you know, was Hitler and it was just the SS. We were not part of it. But today there's so much history behind how silent all of Europe was and even America, which knew about it and willfully turned a blind eye. And that's even to me like sneakier because it's like at least the other people are showing us who they are so we can defend ourselves. Whereas everyone that's silent is kind of like it's a cowardly act. You know, it's like, 
you're not even brave enough. But you have no opinion about whether women and children are being slaughtered. You have no opinion about that. Like all of a what? All of a sudden, yeah. Suddenly, the celebrity that's has an opinion about every little tiny thing suddenly now has no opinion about women and children being slaughtered. So, so how do you Americans being kidnapped? This isn't a joke. This is like it's not just Israelis. There's people. You know how many people were slaughtered that are are not even Jewish. You know, Um, and a lot of foreign workers were massacred, and their countries are even afraid to talk about it so when we don't hear you when you in israel see that that someone is silent how does that make you feel what what do you do with that feeling like how does that make you feel in israel we have our feeling here and and how how do you feel over there i mean i you're speaking to the wrong person because i made aliyah 20 years ago because i saw the writing on the wall you know i'm an intuitive person and i said we know you're intuitive that's one thing you are (laughs) you are definitely and i said to myself Oh, this is this is not going to last. This is not happening because I'll tell you what to me is a signal of danger: the Jews falling asleep. I felt like we just had the Holocaust. It was our grandparents, great grandparents. It wasn't that long ago. It cannot be the two generations after that. There is no anti-Semitism. Those people, it's in their DNA. It says in the Torah, "Esav sonet Yaakov." It's a genetic thing, and I saw how quickly everybody went into denial. And I said to myself, I'm like, it can't be that Israel is becoming this huge, powerful force in their own country, their own land, their own army, winning every Nobel Peace Prize. This is not good. Anytime the Jews rise up to a place where they're successful in every country that they're in, we get torn down, whether it be in Spain, whether it be in Europe. The sign of anti-Semitism happens when Jews are very successful. And I saw the success of the Jews rising. And you can already see on the internet comments like Jews run the world, Jews control the money, Jews are manipulating, and then they make connections to the Rothschilds, to the this, who today, I don't even think the Rothschilds are Jewish. And it's that, like, you, you there's, so, there's so much anti-Semitic innuendo trending everywhere and everybody would just say things like, oh, that's a conspiracy theory. No, no the, the average man doesn't think that. And then you would see already years and years that the, the, that the universities are taking in a, a much more woke and let's say even anti-Semitic trope. Like it's, it's you already was seeing it years ago. Now it's just full force. You know, to me, one of the scariest moments was when I saw those yeshiva kids stuck in the university were like locked in the library. And then there was like a like a stampede outside of like banging, you know, to the river, to the sea. And like the Jewish kids were like videotaping themselves, like security had to lock them in the school library. I was like, wow, like this is this smells to me like Kristallnacht. And we're and I think the Jewish people are all like dealing with the reality of, wow, like, we don't, we don't have an army protecting us from this. Like, you know, today the, the police has been weakened in the United States in general because of, you know, Black Lives Matters and different organizations where people, you know, the liberal left has weakened the police department. So it's like, it's, it hasn't felt safe in Manhattan and in LA and in the big cities for a while already. So for me, this wasn't not, shocking at all. Like, you're not surprised. Way, at you're all not. And in a way, I was kind of happy. I was like, finally, like everybody's waking up and seeing what's so been so obvious to me, 
you know, and, and, and all the years, anytime I would say anything, I was a conspiracy theorist. Oh, you know, you're, you're dramatic, you're being, you know, um, negative and an alarmist. I, it wasn't like the Holocaust was a thousand years ago. We just had it. Also is that it, that the, and I, and I saw someone share this and it's, it resonated that Jews are like the canary in the coal mine. Anyone who was an enemy and sought to destroy the Jews, um, number one, didn't last very long and also ended up being a danger to the world. And I just don't understand how the world doesn't see that. And just it just proves how irrational people are in their thinking, because it's evident and clear if you're looking at you know historical facts here that people sought to destroy the Jews for, you know, since the beginning of time. And people, and, and, and people don't really understand. They, they don't understand anti-Semitism. They're like, but why? Like, what did the Jews do? And it's important to know why there is such a thing as anti-Semitism, because the Jewish people actually brought morality into the world. Before the Jewish religion, there was paganism and it was hedonism and you can do whatever you want. One of the things that Abraham did was he stopped one of the biggest pagan rituals, which was Molech. Molech was to sacrifice the firstborn child. This was commonplace. Now, imagine, fast forward to Egypt when we had the Ten Commandments and, 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 and we basically brought universal law to the world where we set a very high standard. And when they say we were a light among the nations, this is why. Not because God favors Jews more than anyone else. Because we see on Yom Kippur, what do we read? We read about Yonah or Hashem is telling Yonah, I care about everyone. I care about Nineveh also. I care about the non-Jewish cities also. And so why is that? Why, why is it that that the, the non-Jews hate us so much? Is because so long as we're around, there is somebody holding up a moral standard that says you're not allowed to do that. You're not allowed to kill. You're not allowed to have. And that's really what's happening with Hamas. Nobody chops off the baby's heads or massacres pregnant women and rapes women for land. It's just not done. You want land, you go to war, army versus army. There's enough Muslims in the world to go up against Israel. And they, all you have to do is unite and go up against it. They didn't have to come into our land and, and humiliate the people. This is a desecration of human life. This isn't normal. This isn't done. Humans don't do this. And so people have to understand that this is, um, this is the Hamas is basically saying you can do whatever you want. We want to live in a society where we can do whatever we want. And it's funny to me, like I see all these pride people who, you know, wave the pride flag. And I think to myself, they would be murdered in one second in the Palestinian territory. There is no freedom for women, all these like uh, liberal women that are, you know, me movement that, that are. Me Too movement that are that are marching for them like they would they can't dress like that. They have all these celebrities like Bella Hadid, who, you know, is a model who's naked most of the time. And she would be thrown off a roof. She would be dragged through the streets and people are not making that connection. And they're not realizing that that this is a, a culture where they don't value life. It's a cultural thing. And as a Jewish nation, what we have to do is not give up. And we have to be continue to be a light upon the nation and say, we value life. That's why we're defending ourselves right now, because we can't allow for a world to exist where the people that are 
in charge of us have no value for human life. I mean, think about it. I, this is this makes me crazy every single time. Like I, I go to bed at night and I think like everybody else, we go through our phone and imagine, imagine another foreign country where thousands of people were massacred in the most brutal way, videotaped it. The morale of the nation is down. They're completely humiliated. And then you see their army singing, dancing, coming and bringing food. As an outsider, you're looking at that country and you're like, what in the world is that army doing? Is that an army? It looks like camp, you know? And it's like the Jewish people, even when we have to go to war and we know we have to kill people, it's like, it's like that's not who they are. They're, 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 they're praying, they're putting on their tefillin, they're dancing, they're coming and doing chesed, they're giving out food, they're hugging each other, they're kissing each other because they value life so much and they're so good to the core of who they are that they're not like these soldiers that are like, oh, we're going to call, we're gonna, they're, they're, you, you open up anything that's like comedy show, what's going on over there. Do you know, it's like, it's like a, a love, it's a love fest, concerts, food, barbecues, like, what are you guys doing? <laughs> you know, but, but that's Israel. Like exactly. But everything you just shared, if, if someone's not going to see it now, when are they going to see it? They, they saw the massacre. They saw that Hamas does not value life and they see that we do value life, but yet they're not, they're not seeing it. Look, I think, I think that there's several components. There's the ones that are just anti-Semitic and they just need an excuse and I would, I hate to say this, but I would say that that's the majority of people. There are those that are just swept up in right. it and they just be on the side of good. They don't know really. They just see Israel looks like this big bad bear. And you see videos of, of Palestinians, you know, hungry in the street. Like we live in the big city, you know, like it kind of looks like a David and Goliath situation. And, and you see people interviewing them on the streets and asking him the right kind of questions. And the people looking back and thinking, hey, you know, you're right. A lot of it is just like the masses go, would they want to be on the right side of the law? They're not really thinking. And I think that that's why it's so important to do Hasbara and to, and to communicate to people and to ask them, why are you doing this? To engage in people and to try to have a conversation with them. Because I think what's happening right now is God is creating clarity in the universe. And he's letting people choose between good and evil. And that's what's happening on this side of the world. And it's not going to be enough of an excuse to say, well, I didn't know, like in Germany, we just went with the tide. You know, we just went with the crowd. It's not going to work because we just had the Holocaust 80 years ago. So that that excuse is gone. Today, there's social media. You can actually do some serious investigating and find out what the story is behind Israel and the Palestinians. And the truth of the matter is most of the Israeli Arabs don't want the Palestinians to get power because they live very well in, in our country. They're, they, they, they're, they live like kings. And ironically, I, I always wonder, like, Egypt, Syria, all these countries, like, if they really cared about the Palestinians, why is it that they won't take them in? You love them so much, right? You want us to have them. Why won't you take them in? Because they themselves are scared of them. Right. They themselves are understand that they don't want to open their doors to terrorism they have enough of their own yeah so people have to understand that that and notice no one questions them or directs attention to them as to why they're not taking them in right right 
Yeah. So, so how do you, when you're on your scrolling on your phone at night and, and you're a healer and you know, many people are doing that and then get getting all revved up and, and angry, how would you go about bringing some healing or, or get them into us? So I'll tell you something that is interesting. You know, I feel like everybody feels like, what's the right thing to do? Like, what are we supposed to do right now? And I feel like Shiv and Panem Latour, like Hashem makes people different. And I have my friend like Lizzie Savetsky that's like in the streets, on the news. Like I could never go on Fox News. I'd be like, blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? Like it, it wouldn't, it wouldn't happen because I am not a great speaker. I'm, I'm emotional. I'm a, I'm a good healer, but I, when it comes down to it, I have to be able to retain information and express myself in a normal way. And so Hashem gave her a specific kind of gift and he did. He didn't give me that gift because that's not what he wants me to do. He wants, you know, yeah, he made her look like a Barbie doll and her husband's a plastic surgeon. And like, she has that reputable image where everybody wants to be like her. I don't think anyone looks at me and says, I want to be like Sarit. So, um, I don't know about that. (laughs) So I, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what I do. Wouldn't want. I want to be intuitive. I, I, exactly. I, I want to be yeah. me. And, and I, I'll tell you what, I, what I'm doing, and it's going to sound nuts, but this is so me. And I'll tell you, my friends, I have my friends that are having major Tehillim clubs. And that's them. They're big Tefillah people. So I like to go to Kivrit Tadikim right now. I can't. So I do the other things that I love to do. And, and so what I started to do was I'm making these events. And, and like at night, I have a couple coming up where we, I ordered tambourines, you know, and basically, women sit around, we decorate them, and we do something that, you know, for many reasons. Some women make the tambourines because there was a, an old custom where the, the the soldiers came back from war, the women would come out with tambourines. So it's kind of our way of saying, we believe you're coming back. Some of the women there are saying, I'm making this tambourine for if Mashiach comes, and I want to um, show Hashem that this is an opportunity for Mashiach. And so some women decorate, basically we sit down, we decorate the tambourines and everybody tells us. The Jews left the women were held tambourines when they left Mitzrayim. That's right. And that's right. And that's why? right. And, and, and also, you know, it's, it's basically people, we sit, everybody goes around and tells a story of Geula, personal Geula they have that Hashem did for them. And we kind of get into the state of mind of Geula and, and not just Geula for Amistad, but personal Geula of this prison that everybody feels that they're in right now where they, they, they feel like their life has stopped. And, and for me, I'm the kind of person that I need to do something optimistic. I need to do an act of happiness, of positive thinking as a healer. That's, that's what I do. So Um, I always tell people like whoever is more my type of personality. So have events like that, where you give people hope challah baking, you know, things like that. People, there are my friends that do groups of Tehillim. They get together and they read Tehillim. They love Tehillim. And then there's people that go out and they do Hasbara. They make videos and they explain to people. There, I don't think that there's like one right way to do things. I feel like people have to do what feels right to them. Like you guys do podcasts or you're interviewing people. You're, 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 you're kind of creating a support system for everyone to, to be able to listen and get encouraged and and for some moms, you know, they don't, they're not big on tefillah. They're not going to go to an event, but they just might talk to Hashem and, and just look up at the heavens and, and say, Hashem, like, help us, you know, like, or talk to their kids or, or do, you know, it's like, 
there's no right way. There's just, who are you? Whatever right. you did before is what you're going to do now. Can I, can I just tell you something about what you said that you're doing the tambourine? It make like, I remember learning that the women are the ones it's in the merit of the women they let they left Mitzrayim. And one of the reasons is, is because the men just, the men walked, they walked when they left Mitzrayim, but it was the way the women left. They, they were actually dancing with the tambourines. And I feel like that's very empowering for a woman in the role that we have with our families. Like it's not only in the world, it's just our role in the home and what kind of attitude are we going to bring during this time. And that's represented in the tambourine and the way the women acted when they left Mitzrayim. We have that power. I mean, Hashem saw that and we have that power to... I also think it's like when women... We can change history. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, even, you know, the women had the mirrors in Mitzrayim and they all had the mirrors where the men kind of gave up. And so the women would go into the fields at night and they would use the mirrors to kind of get their husbands interested in them again. And they would try to create Jewish children. And today it's like, what do we have that we're all doing together? Today there's social media. We can all do one thing and then everybody catches on. So a lot of women will do tefillah. A lot of women will do challah. But to me, the tambourines is like, if everybody has one at home, so we can all say, I have my tambourine. Like, that's how much I believed. I have this physical thing where I decorated it and I, and I did an act of emuna. I did something physical. I sat and I painted it and I said, Hashem. I don't, I'm not giving up. I'm not. And you know, it's funny because geula is a very dirty word in Judaism. I know it sounds crazy, but you have to understand the history of Mashiach. And the history of Mashiach with the Jewish people is a very painful one. People actually don't like when you talk about Mashiach, especially when there's a war. Because, you know, after the Holocaust, I mean, we, we just lost, let's say 2,000 people right now. The numbers are not in, but it's probably around that. And look at us. We're like dead. We're, we're, we're zombies. We're, we, we, we can't pick ourselves up, right? Imagine six million, okay? And, and it wasn't like us hearing a story about our neighbor. It was every single person lost someone. And, and that was six million. Do you know that in the Inquisition, it was nine million? In the Crusades, it was nine million, okay? And there's pogroms, like there's no lack of Jews being massacred. And every single time it would happen, the Jewish people would say, oh my God. And people said this after the Holocaust, people were sure we got Eretz Yisrael, Mashiach is coming. And what happened was it was a very big disappointment. And it wasn't just in the Holocaust times. It was also in the times of, of Shabtai Tzvi. It was also in the times of, um, you know, the, I think it was Bar there were so many times in history where Jews were sure because of an event that Mashiach was coming and then there wouldn't be. And so many neshamas got lost because of it, because they said, oh, I can't have faith anymore. I can't get my hopes up anymore. And then they would just give up on everything. So nowadays, when especially with Holocaust survivors, when you see their grandkids or kids being like, oh, maybe Mashiach is coming out, they'll be like, don't say that. They get upset. Because they don't want to create a scenario again where there's this huge disappointment and then Jews kind of lose hope. But you know what I feel like? You know, you're both Chabad, and I think everybody's Chabad in this generation. I think the everybody has a different connection to Chabad. And for me, I think most people would say if you ask them, maybe I'm wrong. That the greatest contribution that Chabad did, Lavab Rabbi did in this generation was 
put Jews all over the world, where everywhere you went, you saw Hashem. And there was a year that looked like a year and he was there to help you. But for me, that was never it. I, I think that's amazing. But I might be a Jew that never travels anywhere in the world. So like it wouldn't affect me. I think the greatest thing that the Lubavitcher Rebbe did for me was that, that he normalized Mashiach coming at a time that there was no reason for it to come. He was making Tzivah Hashem and he was Mashiach. Everywhere posters, Mashiach, Mashiach coming, Mashiach. And there was no event. And it wasn't one year. It wasn't the second year. It was 10, 20, 30, 40 years. And he took a word that was like a dirty word and he made it normal. And he made it that every single person today, even secular, knows about Mashiach. Because every time they go on the highway, there's a huge poster of the Lubavitcher saying, Mashiach, Mashiach is coming. And whether or not you believe in the movement of Chabad or not, the word Mashiach, music, we want Mashiach now, he made it that there didn't need to be an event like getting Eretz Yisrael or like Bar Kochva or Hanukkah or Purim. He was like, we are going to get into the state of mind of Geula. We're going to talk about it all the time. And so now when we do things like tambourines and when we have events or we talk about Geula, it's okay. It's like, okay, we're case scenario doesn't happen it's okay we've been talking about it for the last 50 years and it hasn't happened so okay it's not the end of the world you know my kids always tell me Ima, every year you tell me oh this is the year and um since they're little kids i'm always talking about it like when, when covid happened i was like okay i could feel it and my kids were like mom now you have a tambourine like okay what you know and i said to them and i said to, and they're like what if it doesn't come and i'm like then it'll be like every year you know, we have to spend our lives yearning for Geula. What is Geula? What is redemption? Redemption is an understanding. It's a revelation. That's all it is. It's an understanding that Hashem is the only power over us and He runs the world. And everything that happens is from Him. And when and I feel like the energy right now is so Geula because secular religious, right, left, old, young, everyone is realizing it's Hashem. What happened right now, what happened with the Jewish people was that we realized that there's no army, that there's no political party that could save us. Um, I don't think people have hope in political parties anymore. You know, like I don't, they're not taking this government down, but it doesn't really matter to them anymore. You know what I mean? Like you hear the soldiers saying before they go out to war, we're not leaving Aza until we don't bring back our hostages. We don't care if the army tells us to go back or not. This, this, is, this, is, this is Jewish people. This isn't idea. This is Jewish people. This is the Jewish nation. And it gives them, I feel like we're in this awareness right now that we've never, ever, ever had. Because in America, we're realizing who we're surrounded by. We're realizing the value of having Eretz Yisrael as a place to run away to. People are messaging me day and night. Should we come? Should we come? And I'm thinking to myself, this is a war going on here. And yet everybody wants to come now because they're like, well, America's crazy. The, 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 like we're scared to walk out of the house. Oh, and so to me, it's like, it's, 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 it's hard for me to see people in America struggling because in a way we're the lucky ones. You know, we get to be here. Yeah. I mean, a lot of us are lacking agency. It's like, there's a lot, you see a lot of hopelessness. And 
having true bitachon means, you know, many people are saying like, why did this happen? How could this happen? And well, if you're going to ask, why is this happening? Why are the bad things happening? You have to also ask why are the good things happening? You can't just take one side of the coin without the other. So if you're asking, why are these things happening to us as a Jewish people? Ask, why are the Jewish people, have we had such incredible unity? Why are, why have things been so incredible for so many centuries? Yes, they've been, you know, there, there's been, there have been times that have been really brutal for us, but there have also been times that have, that have been beautiful. And so we have to be able to ask both questions, you know, why the bad, but also why the good to pay attention to what, you know, to all the gifts that we have. Yeah. I mean, I think it's an, it's unbelievable that such horrible things happen and it makes us unite, you know, any other country, it would tear that country apart, but it put our country together. It made us love each other again. It made us value, which just comes to show you that like all of this, I hate the religious. I love the religious. I, you know, the religious people look down upon the secular. At the end of the day, like Hashem just had to scratch the surface for like one second. And we're all obsessed with each other. Like that's really what was underlined. And Hashem was like, how do we keep that? How, you know, we've seen it happen before throughout our history where in, in dark times, Jews united. And this time I feel like, hey, how do we keep this? And, and. So I- Hold I feel up. like that's the question she just asked. She just said, why does bad things happen? I don't know. Maybe because we only get together when bad things happen. Like, right, but then bad things we- don't have to happen if we could just keep that feeling. And that, and, and it's like, everyone's always like, what is Hashem doing to us? I'm like, I don't think you guys realize that we're doing this. Hashem doesn't massacre people. Hashem lets the door open and allows show their true feelings. All that the Hamas did was reveal themselves. That's all they did. They just said, this is who we are. We said, and this is who we are. Loving, generous, giving, supportive. Like it's a time of revelation. It's a time of everyone being like, this is who I am. And during this time period is what every single Jewish woman has to do. She has to say, this is who I am. And it's funny, you know, the kind of the world goes on, even though um, like there's a word the middle of a war but people still have cancer people still come for sessions people still are in the middle of getting a divorce people are still struggling with their day-to-day normal lives and i am seeing a theme that i haven't seen you know since i remember becoming a healer which is right now is time for all of my clients that every single thing that they bury is coming to the surface every single thing that they never wanted to deal with. So I was saying that I see that everyone that wasn't dealing with their issues, you know, everything is coming to the surface. There's no more hiding under a rock. Like all of our problems are coming up and everyone is facing reality. You know, it's a time of truth energetically in the universe. The Goyim are showing who they are. They're showing if they're good or bad. They're basically making a choice. And Hashem is saying, let me see where you're holding. And the Jews are doing such a beautiful job showing where we're holding because there's so much love, so much generosity, so much support, so much camaraderie, so much prayer, so much love that it's like exciting almost. It's so like, this is who we are. I'm so in awe of the Jewish people and my clients too, like anything that they were not dealing with until today, everything is coming up to the surface and, and everybody wants to face it now. Everybody wants to clean shop. It's a, it's a time like if people ask me, like, what are we, we focused on? I say, everybody clean your spiritual house. 
clean your own house. Like whatever you, boundaries you should have put, like what, what is the Hamas coming and breaking in? What does it represent? It represents a kind of, let's ignore a problem that's been festering for generations. And let's pretend that they're nice like us. And let's just hope for the best to the point where the army went to sleep. They're literally like, nah, you know, like what army does that? Nah, they don't really mean it. It's crazy. And basically everybody's waking up now and they're saying, no, let me look at the truth. Let me deal with the truth. And it's happening on a global level. It's happening in America where everybody sees what the universities are really teaching our kids, what the people on the street are feeling about us. Everyone's revealing how they feel about the Jewish people. It's a time of truth. To me, that's really what this is. This is, this is everybody showing their true colors. That's what it is to me. Yeah, it's kind of like, you know, the, the previous generation and the generation that went through the Holocaust when they were faced with life and death. It, it made after the Holocaust, actually, even afterwards, it made life simpler because they were faced with life and death. They chose truth. Like they, even even choosing a husband and wife, they, they they chose what mattered: a kind person, a good person. You know the things that really count, not the superficial things. And I mean, I think they were just like, "You're a survivor. I'm a survivor. Okay, let's just let's do it. Let's let's." That was it. That's all they wanted. Let's make you know life work. And it wasn't about materialism. It was like, let's just build. And, um, and they were really in touch with their true selves. And I think that that's the opportunity, the opportunity that we have now in the hard, in the hard times that we're experiencing each in our own way. Yeah. People who are like obsessed with their bags and their, this and their shoes now could care less. They're like, who cares? Like, it seems almost strange to chase those things. You know what I mean? Even though I have to give a shout out, a lot of my clients are calling me like in a panic because like, you know, they, they, they do nails, they do shaitals, they sell clothes and like nobody's shopping. And it's, it's, it's hurting our community because people are kind of like frozen in time. And it's, it's kind of hurting the Jewish people at the end of the day, because people are having a hard time supporting themselves. So then we sh- I even had, I even had a client call me and say, I want to give you a thousand dollars and I want you to treat people people that you wouldn't normally can't afford it to, to give them sessions. And I realized that she was doing that because she was worried about me. She knew I wasn't working for a few weeks because I was like in shock for the first few weeks. Like we just like, we weren't functioning, you know, and I thought it was really sweet. And, and, and it's not just for me, it's, it's people all over are looking for ways to support each other. And I think that women have to go back to a certain degree to getting their nails done and to going back to normal life because we're, we live in an industry where we support each other. You know, like I have my, my jewelry bracelets that I sell, the healing bracelets stand still. Everyone was like, you know, who's going to buy a bracelet now? And so, and it's not just that it's, it's, I get like 20, 30 calls a day about women telling me, speak about this, tell everyone to go back to doing their shaitel, tell everyone to get a massage, tell everyone, you know, we're, we're hurting each other. And that's one of the most beautiful parts of being in a Jewish community that most of the businesses that we do it is that we pick each other's businesses up. Like we are, you know, I have women who bake cakes and no one was buying cakes, you know? And it's like, and the truth is in order for us to bring light to others, we need to light up ourselves. Like we need to have some peace within ourselves and take care of ourselves in some way. 
There's um, also a lot of guilt I, I, I got my nails done. I got my nails done. I went it's and I did die. Yes, beautiful. to take care of themselves because they feel like, how could I be doing this? How can I be feeling, you know, joyful? How can I be getting a massage during this time? But it's, it's counterintuitive, but that's exactly what you should be doing. It's not to me. It's not to say that you're God forbid, ignoring what's happening. It's to say that you, that you want to prove that you have agency and that you believe that we are strong and we're not going to retreat. We're not going to retreat. You know, we know that soldiers on the battlefield, they want want us to to be stuck and we're not going to be stuck. When I went to get my nails done, so, you know, the one who, my friend who does my nails, she's, she's a good friend of mine. She was like, Sue, you're my first client this week. She's my first wow. client in weeks. Now, her husband learns she's the sole supporter of her family. That's a big deal. It's three weeks already, you know? And then I was just like, okay, I'll do laser. I'll do, like, I, I just started, like, doing a million things. And, and I really feel like we should support each other. We should help each other. We should go back as much as we can to doing what we do best, which is being forces of nature, creating in the universe. No one's going to put us down. No one's going to shut us up. No one's going to destroy our business. No one is going to tell us what to do. And and no one's going to scare us into a corner. It's not going to happen. Yeah. And so as Jewish women, we have to support each other as much as we can and pay attention to the people around you who where, where things are slow, you know, open your eyes a little and, and, and throw each other a bone wherever you can just look around and see which industries need help. What have people just stopped doing completely order cakes, you know, like, like even as groups, like just pay attention to what's happening around you. Important. Thank you for sharing. It's very important to look out for what stopped and how that person might be struggling. And that is a way to Help, uh, help our soldiers and we're doing a mitzvah, yeah, you know. Our soldiers help. are getting fat and they're, <laughs> you know, like they're carrying like so much. They're like, stop sending us food, you know, <laughs> but their wives are home alone with kids for weeks. My cousins are all alone with their kids for weeks and they have no work. Oh, I don't know. I feel like pink is heart. It's, your, it's our hearts. Our hearts are on our hands. It's warm. You know? I think yeah. we all. I feel like ideas of what we should be doing, but sometimes it's something as simple as uh, taking care of yourself. And also, like you mentioned, sometimes this things like this bring out the crises that are going on under a person's roof, you know, like the, the micro problems. And, um, that's another thing is sometimes helping someone in your neighborhood. Like there's a lot there, there's been, you know, there have been, and there are neighborhoods that have a lot of people who really need our help. And sometimes it's easily forgotten because we go about our daily lives and then something like this happens. And I think, like you said, Sarita, it brings out, you know, a lot of the already existing, pre-existing trauma that people are experiencing in their homes, you know, in, in very significant ways. So we can do one little thing there. Yeah. You know, shout to someone who we know might be having a hard time. That can make all the difference. Yeah. And I think we don't realize. Yeah, I, I, I had a call this morning from a client who, Husband has cancer and her little son has cancer. Two totally different, you know, she, she's not even thinking about the war. She's not even, she's not even there. She's, she's surviving every day and everybody's still in their personal goals. And, and the war doesn't really necessarily change that. Just ask you, because I've had people say to me, you know, how can I worry about my petty problems, which are not necessarily so petty. It wasn't so petty to them before, but they feel 
guilty to actually do something about a problem that they're going through because of what's going on in the war? What would you say to them? So, you know, I see this every day and any problem you have that you don't deal with, when it rises to the surface, it rises with a vengeance if you ignore it. And yes, it's true that Am Yisrael is suffering right now, but when we try to fix our personal life, we're basically all part of the same body. Right. And it basically fixes, it, it, I feel like the message here with with Hamas is, where are your boundaries? And I would say that 90% of all issues in the universe are boundaries. Even cancer is a broken boundary. It's a cell multiplying and the body not being able to say, stop. Everybody has, has cancer cells, right? But a healthy body says, hey, I recognize you as bad and I'm going to stop you and I'm going to kill you. But cancer is, oh, are you bad? No, maybe you're my friend. Let's multiply you. And when that happens, there's death. It's just like with Hamas, like, oh, you're my next door neighbor. Oh, okay. You can come in. You you would never hurt me. And then it's a massacre, you know? And it's like every single thing in our life is basically all about broken boundaries. Think about Abraham Avini. Every single test that Hashem gave him was to be cruel. Overturn Sodom, kill Yitzchak, take another wife, even though you love this one. Don't do Achnasas Orchem. Hashem brought the sun closer to the earth. And it's kind of like, wait, but Abraham is just trying to be a nice guy. Like we keep seeing him trying to be a nice guy. Hashem's like, no, don't be a nice guy. Don't trust Yishmael. You know, we're literally in the Parsha. Like, do not trust Yishmael. Like he's, he's, he's not your friend. And so everything in the physical body, everything in the, in relationships, it's all about boundaries. It's about saying, I will not tolerate this bad behavior anymore. And when people say, I'm going to fix my personal life right now, they're basically helping energetically collective Amisrael. You know, yes, whether there's, a rising tide, there's like this quote, a rising tide raises all ships in the harbor. It's if you improve yourself, what you're doing is you're enabling the people around you also to, you know, to, to elevate their, their consciousness too. Um, and Sarit, how do you do it? How do you work with people so often who are dealing with such, you know, difficult uh, life circumstances and situations and being an empath, how do you take care of yourself so that it doesn't, so that you don't carry that weight on your shoulders? I mean, uh, to be totally honest, I have, um, besides my client's issues, I also have my own, I have six kids, you know, and I'm going through my own stuff right now. And um, I cry a lot. I'll be honest with you. I cry a lot. And I have nights where I'm bawling my eyes out. And then I have days where I'm super happy and I'm in a very redemption state of mind. And I feel like everything is going to be amazing. And I feel like actually meeting with people who are going through their struggles, it gives me a lot of encouragement because I spend an hour convincing this person to have hope. I spend an hour convincing this person that Hashem loves them. And I tell them, if I love you, okay, and I just met you and I think you're the most amazing person, imagine how much Hashem loves you. You're not abandoned. And when you say that for eight hours straight, every single day of the week, and you're encouraging, and you're talking about Hashem and the body and how much our own body loves us and 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 giving a person hope that they can get past their issues, you know, 
you're in a happy state of mind. You're in an optimistic place. So I'm lucky because all day long, when I'm convincing other people of having encouragement, it convinces me. Imagine you're an aerobics instructor and all day long you're giving classes, exercise classes. You're going to have the most amazing body. You know, my sister-in-law is a Pilates instructor. She, she's like, she, she looks incredible, you know? And because all day long that she's in fitness, she's eating right. She has to, she gets up early, like her body reflects her job. So for me, I'm blessed that I have a lot of Amuna because that's all I'm talking about all day long. I'm giving a person hope. I'm giving them tools to make their life better. And I see the results and it gives me a lot of encouragement. And like, we have that also like with our kids, like when we notice, okay, you know what? Let me give my kid some attention, right? And then we see how positively it affects that child. We feel so good about ourselves. We're like, oh, I'm a good mom. Oh, like, you know, like whenever we invest, and just giving people effort and time and love, then we automatically feel better about ourselves. You know what I mean? It's like positive affirmations. Yeah. It's positive affirmations all the time. And in that sense, I'm lucky, but I also have my days that I break down. I have um, a lot of challenges. um, And I think it would be inauthentic to pretend that I'm not suffering with everybody else. You know, like, I don't know any one woman that's not struggling today with something. You know, we all have our pekalach, we all have our challenges, but I'm I'm fortunate because I see the Yad Hashem so clearly when I work with intuition, and it's it's like it's like you can't not have a Muna in Hashem. You you can't. It's like scientifically impossible. When all day long you're seeing how Hashem does miracles for people. And I have to tell you something. And it's so obvious now because we see like how amazing our soldiers are and, and how beautiful Amisrael is. This past year, every single woman that came to me, as she sat in my office and she's talking to me about her life and I'm like seeing her whole like life's picture, I'm thinking to myself, you know, Hashem, just for this one woman, you should have brought Mashiach. I look at the Jewish women and I'm in awe of them. They're so amazing. Women come to me all the time. They're like, I, I want to be a better mom. I want to be a better wife. How do I do more for Amisra? Like, what does Hashem want? It can't be. And you know, people always say, oh, we're such a weak generation. And we're so, um, you know, we're the lowest generation. I think that's a lie. And I don't think I don't think that it's an accident that Mashiach is coming for us because I think we're the most beautiful generation. I think we're the most the Jewish women are the most incredible things I have ever seen. So resilient, so loving, so caring, constantly wanting to fix themselves, constantly wanting to be better. And I don't think that Mashiach hasn't come because we're not good enough. I think I think that we. You can see today with what's happened, like we had, you know, a pogrom right now in Israel and you see how amazing Am Israel is. Like everybody flipped, like everyone is just showing their true colors and everyone is incredible. It's not that. I think for me, Geula means redemption, Mashiach coming. It means that the person themselves have to believe that they're worthy of redemption, that they have to believe that Hashem loves them enough to come to them. 
And I feel like if there's one thing I could say about this generation is that everyone has low self-esteem. Nobody really has self-worth. Nobody's able to say no. Everyone feels bad, you know, like what can you say to them? Feel bad. What would you say? And I agree with you that, that we have a, a systemic problem of low self-esteem and, and low worth feelings of, of no of unworthiness. What would you say to that? You know, and how, how can we change that? Yep. From 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 your you know, yep. viewpoint. What would you say to someone who says, I don't feel like Hashem loves me? I have to tell you that the people that are downtrodden are the people who have no boundaries. Think about it from a technical point of view. Who has a low, low self-worth, an abused woman, correct? Right? Like, let's take a woman who's being beaten by her husband, right? She can't say no. She can't say, I don't want to tolerate this anymore. She feels bad for whatever reason. She doesn't want, she doesn't want to hurt her kids. She, she doesn't want to upset her husband. She doesn't feel like she has value. And if you really look at the story of Adam, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, right? It's very interesting. We don't actually see Hashem asking them to do anything nice. We see that Hashem is always telling them to set boundaries. He's always telling them to go up against their nature and to um, do the right thing, even though it's very uncomfortable. And so I say, if you want people to have self-worth, they have to act upon their self-worth. They have to start to look into their lives and say, where don't I have a good boundaries? Am I eating healthy? Am I taking care of myself? Am I sleeping the right amount of time? Because that's a bad boundary. Am I um, allowing people to take advantage of me? And am I turning a blind eye to other people's suffering? Because I don't have the patience to deal with it. Am I ignoring my kids? Because I'd rather be on social media and or, or, or whatever bad boundary that we have. That affects our self-esteem. That makes us feel bad about ourselves. And then we feel unworthy. But if you look at somebody who wakes up at 5 a.m. and she meditates and then she goes walking and then she makes herself a healthy breakfast and then she gets her kids up early and she gets them ready for school and she is all about taking care of herself and self-awareness and um, leading the healthiest type of life and making sure that she is spiritual and she's taking care of her physical body and she's working and she's with the kids. Why would she feel bad about herself? Those women don't feel bad about themselves. When do we feel bad about ourselves? When we break our own boundaries, when we over, we sleep too late, when we waste time on the phone, when we are curt with our kids, when we abuse ourselves with food, when we allow ourselves to be in toxic relationships because we're afraid of what people are going to say. You know, I think that if you really want to have self-worth, you need to know how to say no. And that's really what's happening to Amisol right now. The Jewish people are looking at Hamas and they're looking at the Arab world and they're saying, no more. No. We can't live like this anymore. About boundaries. I mean, the Torah we, has so many boundaries and, and 613 boundaries. Yeah. And there's a lot more. Oh, and it's so high. And it's so high. But us as the Jewish people, it shows what boundaries do. Like it has made us a strong nation and a united nation when, when we're put to the difficult test. You know, people, so. people always see, like, a lot of people tell me, like my secular clients, oh, I could never keep Shabbos. It's so hard. Everything is no, 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 no. And it's like a burden. And I'm thinking to myself, Shabbat is like freedom. Why? Because imagine living in a third world country where there's no rules, there's no stop signs, there's no tax, there's no running water. There's no, it's like a, it's a chaos. Right. 
And then think about trying to cross the street in that country when there's cows crossing the street and, and there's thousands of people and there's disease. And then think about Switzerland and, and trying to, to, to build a business over there where there's no homeless people, where everybody lives in a high standard, where comes at one o'clock exactly and everything runs efficiently because there's so many rules in Switzerland that that creates this, this level of freedom that there isn't in other places. And to me, Shabbos is a protection. God doesn't need us to keep Shabbat. He's, he's God. He's perfect. He doesn't need us any to do anything. Shabbat is for us. It's the freedom to say, I'm not this animal that works all week long. And the rules that are put in are, are rules to make sure that we rest and that we gather ourselves in and that we connect to the master of the universe and that we remember that we're human beings that are spiritual beings and that we have a soul and that we have to feed that soul. It's not a burden. It's not a punishment. And if it is, you're doing it wrong. If everything is suffering, you're doing it wrong. To me, I literally wait from Mosei Shabbos until Friday just for Shabbos because it's like, I don't have to be on. I can read my books like a job and I'm with a rap. My kids are all around me. That's all I want. We don't have to go anywhere. My phone is off. I'm with Hashem. I can wake up early while everyone's sleeping. I can dab in. It's like a dream. It's a dream, you know? And if people don't see that it that way, it's because they're not out of the rat race. They're constantly running like all week, every day of the week is like, is, 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 this is an end. And to me, that's a Gehenna, you know? And it's really, boundaries are the best thing in the universe. Think about it as like a husband and a wife. A husband says to his wife, on their 50-year anniversary, you know, you're the best wife, I love you. That's nice. And he buys her flowers. But imagine a husband who buys his wife on their 50th anniversary, takes her to the first restaurant they went to. He buys her her dress that she's been dreaming of, gets her a tennis bracelet. He writes her a five-page poem. He takes, he makes an album of all the pictures that they ever took together. He does this whole crazy ordeal of videos of all of their friends. So his attention to detail, yeah, the other husband could love her, I'm sure, but their marriage is only going to be as intimate as the details in their lives. And boundaries are really here to create that detail and that structure to make our life have more value. And if people would embrace boundaries instead of being afraid of them, the world would look like a different place. The world, Mashiach would come. We would be in a place of mental revelation. I love that. I love the bound. I love your your stance on this. Like boundaries is it's a very tangible thing. It's like, well, if you have low self esteem or if you're struggling with with low self worthiness, get in the driver's seat and and find where you're lacking in boundaries. And I think that's very, it's a tangible and, and I like practical ways of moving to that place of self-worthiness. just want to add that Hashem actually loves when we have boundaries and push, push past what we would normally do. Like when we actually put up a boundary and go beyond our comfort zone, Hashem values that more than anything. So that is a way to think of when I take that boundary, Hashem, to know that Hashem loves you. That's right. What about it? That's right. What, what role does Amuna play in uh, in increasing our our, our self worthiness and self esteem? I 
I right? I want I I don't yeah. think that anybody has an amuna issue that I know. I I've yet to meet a person that has a problem with amuna, but I think everybody, and I include myself in this, has a bitachon problem. And I think we have to differentiate between amuna and bitachon. Amuna means I know that everything comes from Hashem, and I think that if you if you don't believe in God and you haven't lived in this lifetime to see God's hand in every single thing we do, you're blind. And I can't help you. But most people actually believe in God and they think that he... The problem is they don't trust him and they don't know what in the world he's doing and they don't feel safe with him. And so many women will tell me, you know, I feel afraid of Hashem. Like, I feel like he's waiting around the bend and he's going to hit me over the head. Like, I don't know if I'm going to... So many women are driving their car. Like, what if I get into a car accident? And they wake up at night to check their kids breathing. And there's other kids, you know, got cancer. What if my kids, I have so many women that come to me. I would say 70% of my clientele today is anxiety. It's anxiety. And it's like, but I tell them there's nothing wrong with your life. I know, but, 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 and what if it could, what if it could? It's like, we, we don't live in the today. We're always living in what will happen which is actually what we what we read on Yom Kippur. On Yom Kippur, we read about, which is the holiest day of the year, we read about basically the same message, which is, Yonah said to Hashem, look, I don't know what you're telling me to do right now. I don't agree with you. I don't trust you. I, I have a moon. I know everything comes from you. But I don't trust you because you're telling me to do something that from my perspective is going to be messed up. Because if I go and I tell the city to repent, I then Am Yisrael, who's not repenting, is going to look worse, and and it's going to and I don't want to be the messenger to create evil upon my people. Take someone else. I don't want to do this. I don't want to be a part of this. I don't. I don't want to. Um, I'm just going to run away and, and and kind of hide myself, which is a kind of like the funniest thing in the world. Imagine God comes to you and he's like, "Okay, I need you to go and do this thing." Right? Could you imagine being like, uh, "Hold on a second, like." I'd probably die just from God be talking to me. I'd be like, oh my God, like you're talking to me, right? These were very big people. These were people that was not the first time God a- appeared to him. So he was comfortable in that place. Like, could you imagine the lofty level of that person? I would probably die on the spot. Like I would just die. He He was in that place where he was like, no, I don't want to. And then he goes off in, as if in the sea, God doesn't exist. And then he went to sleep in the, in the down of the boat. He was just like, you know, and it's like, how did he even fall asleep? Like when you know God is chasing you and the whole ocean and the boat is going crazy, how are you sleeping? I would be shaking in my boots, right? <laughs> he passed out because he was so mentally fighting Hashem that he was like, no, I'm going to win this. I'm a human being and I have the power to beat God. We we see this all, all the time. We see Moshe says to Hashem, if you don't do this, take me out of your Torah. I'm not going to go along with this. The power of human beings is at the end of the day that Hashem needs us. He needs us. Because if he doesn't have a people, he is not a king. And we have to leverage that. And Am Yisrael is always teaching us that. And we, it says, when were the Jews redeemed? It says, they scream to Hashem. Right? When do we scream? When we're angry, we didn't, it doesn't say and they cry to Hashem. It doesn't say they pray to Hashem. It says they screamed at him. When this 
attacks happen and we were just massacred. Everybody started screaming. We were screaming. We were screaming in our prayers. We were screaming in our sleep. We were crying. We're screaming. Our blood is boiling. Because when you're screaming is when you care. It's when you're alive. We've been sleepwalking this whole time. We've been numb. We, we, we hear about atrocities all the time. And we're just like, okay, oh, she has cancer. Oh, my God. That's so, you know, we just don't care anymore. And I was like, how are you going to get out of your bad situation if you don't scream, if you don't care anymore, if you're apathetic, if, 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 if there's nothing inside of you that isn't alive, you know, and I'm going to actually say something that's very, very controversial, but I'm going to say it anyway, because I don't think that anything happens by accident. I think that the protests this summer were the catalyst for this, because it was the first time in a long time, Mr. Allen was screaming about something, whether it's right or wrong. I don't know. Who knows? But they were actually in the streets screaming. It was the first time I've seen that in decades. Maybe they were screaming about the wrong thing. And now I think they're realizing that. But at least they were screaming. At least somebody cared about something. And now Hashem is saying, oh, you can scream. Let me shift that scream into something that's actually real and authentic, which is let's scream for the soul of the Jewish people. Let's scream for the fact that we have lost the value of human life. We're sleepwalking. We had, had we did a live with Rabbi Taub and he said anger is not necessarily a good thing because where is that, like when, when the soldiers are going into war, they're not angry. They have a mission to fulfill them. It's, I think it's about, you said, screaming for the, like the soul of a Jewish, of a Jewish um, person or, or the soul of a soldier or the soul of our captives. That's, that's diverting it to the right place, I guess. Well, I mean, you're a Chabad, so... Yeah. Have you watched any Rebbe videos? Watched, I mean, he's screaming <laughs> I all know. the time. So, but it's not like that. Right, because I'm trying to, I'm trying to, um, because last, I'm trying to just pull it together because last uh, live that we did, Rabbi Taub said, anger should not be part of the picture. So I'm trying to get your definition of what screaming means. It means being passionate. I, I, I'm i going to agree to disagree with Rabbi Tauber. It's not the first rabbi I disagree with. Okay. Um, I think the, I think the Jewish women. I think the Jewish women have the secrets, and I think we have the answers. And I think that we should scream, and I think we should be angry. And I think that how many times does it say in the Torah, "Vayichera af Hashem, Vayichera af Hashem, Hashem got angry. Hashem, Hashem is perfect. Why would Hashem get angry? Hashem knows why everything happens. Why would He ever get angry? And why does it say in the Torah so many times, "Vayichera af Hashem, Hashem got enraged." Because if you don't live in a world where you understand that sometimes you have to get angry, that people are doing the wrong thing, you're going to get slaughtered, which is exactly what happened right now. People fell asleep. They thought, oh, they love us. We love them. Like, this is like, we're a happy family. And everybody got angry after because they're like, wait a minute, what's going on? Like, what's wrong with us? And you can't go to war and you can't kill someone unless you're angry because they just killed your wife and your mother and your son. You can't go to war with a passion for what? What's the passion about? The passion is about life. You're angry that somebody took the life the of somebody is, that you love. The passion is for Am Israel and Eretz Israel. Because no, I, I, I somebody have- tried to kill us. Because somebody tried to, because we are angry. It's okay to be angry. And I think 
that one of the biggest detriments to the Jewish people is that, that we're always being told not to be angry. And I think that that's what happens to us right now. We're constantly being told, don't be angry. Don't get upset. Just love. Just no, no. There are times where you have to say no and you have to get upset. And it, Hashem only sent the Geula to Am Yisrael when they screamed, when they were angry at Hashem, when they said, we don't want this anymore. We're sick of this. We're sick of living in this situation where our babies are being murdered and Paro is swimming in the blood of our children. Enough. And that's what's happening right now. Am Yisrael is angry. We're angry at ourselves for being asleep. We're angry at each other for fighting with each other. We're angry at our leaders for turning a blind eye to our um, terrible situation. And we're angry at Hashem. We're done with Galos. We're done with being slaughtered. We're done with thousands of generations of, of pogroms and Holocaust. We're finished. We don't want it anymore. This is not what we want to unite us anymore. It's not interesting. It's not interesting for me anymore. I don't want to raise more generations of grandchildren that are going to be slaughtered. I'm not interested in it. And I'm going to do whatever it takes in my personal life to stop it. And everybody Someone's has asking, to push. Someone is asking. I, I think the anger should last until Mashiach comes. I think the anger should last until the Jewish people are redeemed from this misery. And we should keep screaming at Hashem until he gives us what we want. Remember, we're moms. I'm going to ask you this question, okay? Which kid do we always give into? Come on, Come on guys. The pushy. The big, biggest the one that, the nagger. One the body. biggest nagger. The biggest screamer. Yeah. The one that doesn't stop, right? That's what we have to do. Also, we, I just want to... Uh, clarify i think what chase was saying is rivka was asking rabbi taub why can't we be angry at hamas what they did and rabbi taub said he proposed he said you could be angry but be angry at god the person that you're angry the thing that you're angry at that's where you're putting your power oh, right so i'm not angry at hamas right. i was never angry that was even for one second but I, I i knew I that that's what be, they were. i don't want to be angry at hashem I, 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 I not going to be, I, I feel like if you have Betafon, you trust and you're aligned with God's will. I'm not going to be angry. Am I heartbroken? Yes, but I'm not going to be angry. I think, I think you need to scream. And I think that that's what's happened in the past where Hashem has re- redeemed us when we screamed. So if you could scream with joy, scream with joy. I, I, for the, you know, I, 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 I was actually with my, my own therapist and, um, we were talking about this a lot this year. This is like a theme that I'm personally working on, which is when I, I'm like a, I'm, I'm a very, I hate conflicts. Like I hate, like I'm allergic to it. Like I, I unfortunately for many, many, many years will turn a blind eye to a lot of bad things because I hate fights. I just want peace. Like, I just like that calm feeling. I don't like yelling. I, you know, like you can ask my kids, like I'm not a yeller, you know, like they, 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 I'm, I just, I'm not that person. Like I can't, it makes me sick. Okay. Now, is that a good thing? No, it's definitely not a good thing. And my therapist was, who's a from woman was like, Siri, like, I want to show you places in the Torah where you have to get angry. If someone does something bad to you, you have to get angry because if not, you're numb. Because if not, you're okay. You're saying that it's okay. 
And it's also in parenting. And, I, and my kids would tell me, and they still tell me this all the time. You don't get angry at us like other moms. It bothers us. It bothers them. Why? Because it makes them feel like I don't care. And I explained to my kids, I'm like, no, it's not that I don't care. It's that I don't want to hurt you. And they say to me, but it makes us feel like you care about us when you get angry, when we do the wrong thing, instead of always being so empathetic, because I'm an empath. So I'm always like, oh, they didn't mean to do it. I'm always looking for the good side of it. But, you know, again, it's a lack of boundary. And I had to teach myself this year. I had to study it like, like somebody else studies another subject with math. Okay. So when this happens, you need to get angry. And when that happens, you need to do that. Like I had to learn that there are things that we have to get angry about. And Hashem teaches us that because throughout the Torah, when Amishel did the wrong thing, it says, Hashem. and Hashem got angry and every single thing has a place. And I, yeah, it would be lovely when Mashiach comes and we all, euphoria there's no wars and we never have to have rage and we don't have to put boundaries but not in this world this world is full of the need for boundaries and sometimes we have to show anger because if my kid does the wrong thing and he hurts someone else or even hurts himself and i don't show him like when he's running into the street and he's screaming i slap him and i punish him then he's not going to know that it's dangerous for him to go into the street. Children need to know between right and wrong. And the way we can express to them what they do wrong is when we show anger about things. Life, I tried to kill the feeling of getting angry and it was the wrong thing to do. And I think that every single quality in the Torah has a place. And I, anger... I, I mean, I, I felt that way, but uh, can I tell you what I'm angry about? Angry about? And this is something we were talking about when the Rebbe, some of the Rebbe's talks where he may have come across, he was very strong, is, this is what I'm angry about, is that the land was, we, we gave Gaza. Oh, beautiful. We gave land oh. to, to the Palestinians. We gave, it to, we gave it to them, and this is what happened. And it could have been, it was ours, and we gave it away. And look what happened when we gave it away. And that's what the Rebbe was angry about. That's right. That's right. And that's what I, I think that, right. And so everybody has to find that thing that brings this screaming up to the surface so we can scream to Hashem and say, enough. I, we, we did that. I'm just saying that that was something Hashem didn't do that. We did that. We made that choice. We, we have to take responsibility because it's we as a nation. All, all the times that Hashem got angry at us, we did that too. We, we served the Vodazara. We did things like Molech. The Jewish people were sacrificing their children too for many times in the generations. Okay, it wasn't just the going. I want to ask a question. It's a very open-ended question. I just want you to go with it where, where you may. But how does an empath know when to get angry when they're always, and I can relate, I'm an empath too, is like always trying to put yourself in shoes. How did you learn, you know, okay, I've got to get angry now or versus I'm going to really try to suppress this and put myself in this person's shoes. Like, how do you navigate it? So one of the things that my therapist taught me was you're supposed to get angry on purpose. You're not supposed to lose control and get angry because that's when you're losing control, then, you know, you don't react. Because, but you should willfully get yourself upset about certain things that you have to care about and, and, and connect to. And so um, you have to know the like really on a value scale of what has value and what doesn't. So should I lose my cool on my child because their room is messy? 
on a scale of one to 10, how much value does that have for me in the big picture? But should I lose my cool on my child who I saw that they took their siblings stuff without permission? And now we live in a, in a situation in the house where nobody trusts each other and everyone's t- taking each other's stuff and there's stealing going on here. You have to kind of make in your mind a scale of what I'm going to be upset about and what I'm not going to be upset about. And everybody has a different value system. And whatever value system you create in your home is the value system your kids are going to take with them. So for example, even though I was never the type to, to lose my cool, um, there are things that make me insane and my kids will know that. Like if my kids hurt each other or they, um, they fight with each other, or if they fight with other kids or embarrass other kids, I, because I'm an empath, I will lose my mind. And so my kids will see me get really upset about that. And it's natural. It's like, I, I, I'll show that I'm upset, but I probably will cry, not scream. You know what I mean? And so my kids will learn that there are certain things that my mom really cares about. But I've had to teach myself to, like, I hated school growing up. I had a lot of learning disabilities. And for me, going to school was torture. So I have this like secret happiness when my kids don't go to school. Like unlike every other mother, like I like my kids home. I, I, I'm like very, I would love that I had the patience to homeschool my kids. I would never send them to school. That's just me. Like, it's like, it's my personality. And so I've had to teach myself to get upset at my kids when they don't go to school and, and had to be like, you're punished if you don't go to school. I don't really believe it. Like I, in my heart, I hate school and like, I feel bad for them if they're going to school, but I had to like re-educate myself and say, just because I had a bad experience in school doesn't mean that my kids did. And I had to work through all of my trauma with school in order for me to today get really naturally angry at my kids when they don't go to school and say, I don't care. And I'll punish them now. Whereas ones that would never do that. I would feel bad for them that they have to go to school. And today I'll really punish my children if they don't go to school. You know, and we kind of have to work through our personal traumas and see, like, am I making this decision from a place of trauma or am I making this decision because it's actually um, good for my child? You know what I mean? Right. And and I think people want to show that they're strong. So they're like, oh, I don't go to therapy. But I I always say that half a week we have an aerobics instructor and we're like, wow, oh, she has a personal trainer. Like she goes through every day. Such a luxury or we'll say, oh, somebody takes their car to the shop all the time and a car wash every week, right? She has somebody who's a personal shopper. But when we go to therapy or we go to a healer, everyone's like, oh, like what's wrong with her? To me, it's like I go to my therapist every week and I go to my friends who are healers and like we, we always like heal each other. And and today, one of my clients asked me, she's like, you're not embarrassed. You don't feel like, like how long are you going to do that for? So I'm like, as long as I have a heart. And as long as I have a mind, I'm going to make sure that I'm on my toes, that I'm working on myself. I'm very impassioned about mental health and making sure that you have somebody who you're paying to listen to you. I pay my therapist a lot of money and we can do an exchange. She would, she would happily come to me and I'm like, no, no way. Like I want to pay you full dollar and I want to know that you're listening to me and I don't want to listen to you. And I, I want there to be that person that I could check myself with every week that holds me accountable, that tells me when I'm wrong, that puts me in my place in a, in a way that's healthy. And, 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 and she's like a mirror for me. And I go to my healers because some things are not about having a conversation about working about some things are energetic where you just feel like 
you're carrying all the stuff on you and you want someone to just clean it out for you. So I feel like women should get away from the stigma of, I don't need any emotional support or I don't need emotional help. Women should really care about their mental health and not be ashamed to say, "I, I want somebody to advise me and I want someone to guide me. And I want someone to give me a perspective about myself and to make sure that my emotional needs are met because it's very hard to meet our emotional needs with our spouse because our spouse is also busy and they have their emotional needs that need to be met. And our kids are definitely not going to help us meet our emotional needs. And sisters, you know, we kind of grew up in the same place. So we're not really objective. We're like, we, we have each other's backs all the time. And no matter what they say, we're like, yeah, you're right. You're, you know, like we're not really objective. We love our sisters. And so, and, and same thing with best friend. We align ourselves with people who see things the way we do. A good therapist is the one that calls you out on what you do, who reflects the opposite of what you're saying, gives you a different perspective. You Not know? therapists do that, but I know that you do that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I always say there's a fine line between my clients, like loving me and hating right. me. <laughs> but I think that that's the only way to get somewhere is if you just, someone points things out to you. Who's right. going to do it? you. (laughs) And so, you know, like I have, I have on my, on my Instagram, I have like courses, like, like self-help courses where like, I'll talk about how to open yourself up to uh, relationships, how to open up your model. I'm very much a person that's like, look, you can't change the people around you. So what I did was like, I did a course where I'll tell women, okay, here's 20 ways you can find your soulmate and they're practical and they're real and they're technical. And it's like, it's not about a story or it's not about like your imagination. Like if you want to get stuff done, you need to change your behavior, you know? And a lot of people like to escape to the tefillah and to do tikkunim and like, no, 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 no. You want to align yourself with something. You need to see what behaviors am I doing in my life, whether it be for your soulmate, whether it be for Parnasa. Like, why is it that I'm never magnetizing money? Like what behaviors am I doing? It's very easy to blame Hashem. And I'm not saying Hashem doesn't have a place in it, right? Because at the end of the day, if you don't find your soulmate, it's up to God. But at the same time, we don't sit on our laurels and sit here and say, I'm just going to wait for my soulmate to fall on my head. I'm going to say, if Hashem isn't giving me my soulmate, what can I do in the meanwhile to change my behaviors to get me different results? Just like if you're going on a diet and you're not losing weight. So you're not going to just say, I'm just going to stay on this diet for the rest of my life and stay fat. No, you're going to try another diet. You're going to try to exercise. You're going to, you always have to look for what works, right? you know, and it doesn't take away Hashem's role in your life, right? But we have to put whatever effort we can to change our lives. Like that's just the fact. Yeah. It's important also to know the difference between what, what's in our control and what's not. Because we have to do what we have to to do we've got to do our part but at the same time we need to have that God hand so we kind of right you missed some of the questions in the audience if anyone wants to ask one now you are welcome to ask a question i definitely feel much better now because i'm fiery and passionate so when i hear i'm allowed to be angry it's um it makes me feel better time i do find sometimes like let's say i'll see a post that really bothered me it could be someone jewish it bothered me i felt like they it it, it, they should have been a little bit stronger about being a proud jew and i'll be bothered by that now and i'll I'll think okay should i comment on this post and say something and then i'll just leave it alone because i do feel like sometimes my anger can stop me from being productive and bringing my light to the world 
So I'll tell you what, I try not to, um, I usually don't take my anger out on what, what other people should be doing. And I try to utilize my anger either towards Hashem <laughs> or what I think Hashem should be doing because he's really the one in charge or myself. Like I really try to, to see like, let's just say, for example, I'll see someone who isn't speaking up for the Jewish people, right? Right. I kind of look at I look at it in a practical sense, and I'm like, look, to me, that person just lost their value. Like they're missing out. If I saw them, I would probably, because of my personality, make a comment to them, like, hey, you have this opportunity to um, make a difference. And I have, you know, like you know, Lizzie Sevesky, she's a big promoter, and for years, you know, I was working with her as a healer, and I said to her, move away from fashion. You have a voice. Use your voice for the Jewish people. And today, she's like, like today's modern day Queen Esther. Right. Because I didn't look at her and say, you're bad for not being Tanua. I don't like how you wear a bikini. I didn't care about that. I just understood this woman is so charismatic. She's so passionate and she's so um, beautiful and the inside. I didn't care what she was wearing. It was irrelevant to me because I understood that this woman had a voice that was incredible. And I said, let me introduce her to a way to use her voice which will change the world. And she's has access to millions of people today looking at her because when I looked at her, I saw her potential and I was able to express to her what her real potential was. And so when you see someone doing something wrong, it's usually better to point out their potential and what they should be doing instead of what they're doing wrong. Because when we criticize someone, it's very hard for them to hear us. You know, they just feel like we don't understand them. Right. Um, that makes sense. So, and that's what the Rebbe would say to see the potential in every single person. I mean, so then the, you're saying Rebbe sent people like to Africa with a Coke, you know, where they say like, like wherever there's, I, I actually, my car got stuck on the highway like a little while ago. And I tried to call you Didim two weeks ago. And it was like in the middle of a war. And I'm like, oh my God, where there's a missile. Like I was really scared, you know, it was on Kvishesh, which is a very high, like fast speeding highway. So I called you Didim. And they were like, we're busy, like with emergencies. We don't have time to help you on the highway. And um, I was like, I just turned my eyes to heaven. I'm like, Hashem, save me. <laughs> I didn't know what to do. I was so scared. It was like my my wheel got busted in a way where it exploded. Okay. It was like on the metal. And as soon as I turned my eyes to heaven, I said, Hashem, save me. Who drives by? Mendy, Menachem Mendel. This guy pulls over and he has like a, one of those Mashiach kippahs. And I was like, yes, Chabad, Chabad comes to save the day. And as he comes out, I'm like, oh my God, thank you so much. And he's like, wherever there's Coke, there's Chabad. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I, and I, and I, and I was so happy. I was like, you know, like you really, the, the Rebbe in, ingrained in all of his Hasidim, this obsession with helping Am Yisrael, like an obsession he didn't care who I was on the highway. He didn't see who I was. I was like standing in the ditch. I don't even think he saw me. He just saw a car pulled over like a minivan. And he was probably like, oh, some, you know, and he said, let me see who needs help. And that, and that is with no judgment. Like the Rebbe had no judgment. He said, go to Africa, go to Thailand, where all the Israelis are naked and who knows what they're doing there and go give them kosher food, put the tefillin on. Don't worry. Don't look at them. Don't worry about it. Just don't worry about it. Yeah. The Rebbe was the first also to use media um, as a form of spreading Torah. 
We had the Chabad Telethon decades ago when people were taking TVs out of their house and removing all sorts of all electronics. He brought it in and said, no, we need to use what we have at our at our in our fingertips. Use it. Channel them. No pun intended. Channel it for for positivity and for and for love. And we have these big billboards all over Israel. I see with pictures of big pictures of the Rebbe. Um, to reminding people. I think that's a really good way to look at it, to, yeah. to see the potential. Yeah, that's the rapper's way. So I'm saying, so when you've been saying you can be angry, like I shared with you, that I can get angry that that land was, the, that um, Gush Katif happened and that they had to leave and now this is what's happening. Right. And when you're, when you're mad at Gush Katif, you're really mad at yourself because we went along with it. We voted for that government and we didn't stop it because if every single Jewish person understood then what we understood now, we would have just stormed that whole neighborhood and, and the army wouldn't have done it. There would have been no soldier that would have been willing to pull the, the Jewish people out of there. The rapper did try to stop it. And um, the rep- a lot of people, a lot of people tried to stop it. A lot of people tried to stop it. The Stelliner Carlina Rebbe, which was my Rebbe, also tried to stop it. Um, a lot of people tried to stop it. But at the end of the day, it was a gazera. You know, but we're supposed to be upset about these things. We're not we're not supposed to turn a blind eye to the suffering of the Jewish people. We're not. Yeah. You know, like Moshe got upset at Hashem. He said, if you dare destroy the Jewish people, I'll take me out of your Torah. I want nothing to do with you. Like he basically threatened Hashem. You know what I mean? It's like it's not a simple thing. It's like there are times where we don't have a choice. Like we have to show compassion to a degree where we get upset. Am Yisrael only got freed from Egypt when they screamed at Hashem, get us out of here. Like, we can't take this anymore. You know? Like, and, and I feel like the scream is now all over. Like everybody's screaming. Everyone's like enough of this gullus. Enough. We can't it's saying take it Ad anymore. What? Ad Masai. Until when? Exactly. Exactly. And I hope honestly that this is it. Like I, I think that everyone's on fire now. I think that everyone yes. saying, can you save this? We will save this. And we've been seeing messages pop up. Thank you for the chizok and the strength. And thank you everybody for joining us as well. But continue, Sarit. I just wanted to say we will save yeah, it. Yeah. She's asking. Because I, I want because everybody's been asking me to speak. And I was like, I'm saving myself for this podcast. Huh? Um, yeah, we're gonna put it on our podcast actually. That's what we watch the set of people who question how Hashem could do this. Someone's I always asking. say Hashem had nothing to do with it. People do this and we let it happen. And if we want to change things, we have to stop blaming Hashem and we have to start taking responsibility for our behavior. And we as Israeli people who voted for this government agreed to live side by side by neighbors who want us dead. And we decided to bury our head in the sand. And I don't think it's fair to blame Hashem. I don't think Hashem killed 6 million Jews. I think Hitler did. And I think Hashem allowed it to happen because we weren't united. Well, and if we want to... What I was make- trying to say to you is that we have our choices. So why would you then be angry at Hashem if it's not Hashem? Will you be angry at... Are you saying to be angry at ourselves because collectively as a nation, it's us? Is that I what you're saying? You can also get angry at Hashem in, in the one sense of like enough. Like we get it. We get it. Like we have to have... Like at some point, it's kind of like, why is it that when we're about about to give birth, right? At the end, we're screaming our head off, right? Because sometimes the pain is so big that we scream. And usually deliverance, birth happens when we scream because that's the end. 
And when we're screaming now to Hashem, we're basically saying, we can't do this anymore. Like, maybe we don't deserve it. And probably you want A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and everything has a purpose. Enough. And we have to be like that nagging little kid that's like, mommy, mommy. Like, and we have to like annoy Hashem so much. It says, at the right time, at the destined time, I'm going to speed it up. So, okay, so there's a destined time and who's going to speed it up? We're going to speed it up. We're going to nag and scream to Hashem until he can't take it anymore. And he's going to say, okay, let's just, let's just speed this whole thing up. Let's just make it happen right now. I love that. Yeah. I love that. That I love what you just said. Someone's asking here. So do we blame Yishmael? Um, You know, this relationship we have with Yishmael isn't new. Sarah said to Abraham in the Parsha, she said, what is going on here? Like your son is trying to kill my son. This is messed up, right? And what does Abraham say? He's like, no, I can handle, like, be good. Like, let's kindness. Like Chesed, you know, like Hashem himself was like, listen to your wife. And then Abraham did the most interesting thing. It says that when Sarah complained to Abraham about Yishmael and his behavior. So the next morning, Abraham wakes up early, it says, and he takes Yishmael and he takes Hagar. Nobody said anything about Hagar. Like, why is she even in this picture right now? And then he does the strangest thing. No one said, kill Yishmael. They just said, send him away. Sarah was like, I don't want Yishmael around my son. And then Abraham does the strangest thing. He wakes up early in the morning. He takes Yishmael and his mother and he gives them bread and water for one day. Now they had to go back to Egypt. And at the time they were in Canaan, we're in Padan Aram, um, which is like, Weeks of travel. And he was the wealthiest man at the time. Why didn't Abraham just listen to Hashem, take a wagon, fill it up with food and cheese and wine and water and say, listen, it just not, this isn't working out. Like, it's not happening. You know, you, you have to go back to your land. We're just not meant for each other. Or like, you've been behaving badly. Goodbye. Why did he actually try to kill him? Because that's what happened he gave him food for one day and bread and water for one day and at the time Abraham was the most powerful person in the world and everyone was terrified of him he had just killed the five kings like he had just overturned Sodom like nobody was messing with Abraham they he used to shoot arrows and the arrows you know turned into like fiery daggers so nobody was or, or no he took sand and it turned into arrows so nobody was going to mess with Abraham. So nobody was going to take Yishmael and Hagar in and give them water and food because they knew that they were banished from Abraham. So basically he was sending them to their death. And, and actually they almost died. They went into the desert and they cried out to Hashem and Hashem had to make a whole miracle for them. He made like water and he made like a date tree. And what's this whole shebang? Like, why didn't God just... Why didn't Abraham just give them food? You know, Hashem did not say kill him. He also didn't say anything about Hagar. Like, what is this whole Abraham dealing so harshly with them? Because it's basically giving us a message for all time. When Sarah said that this boy is hurting my son and Abraham didn't agree and he wanted to deal mercifully with them, Hashem said, no, 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 no. Everything that your wife is saying about this person is correct. They cannot be near you. And I don't care that he's your son. 
Because if he's corrupt, he's dangerous. So Abraham, in, in essence, did tshuva. The next morning he woke up and he said, who made him who he is? Who made him such a Russia? His mother. She she raised him this way. And that's why I never understood why when they say, well, Hamas is just Hamas. No, 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 no. It's the Palestinian mothers who are raising their sons towards jihad. They have a responsibility that they're feeding this hatred to their children from birth to kill the Jewish people. And so you can't just get rid of him. You have to get rid of the whole mentality. And so what happened was Abraham said, I have to send him away with his mother. And I thought I was more merciful than Hashem. And I thought I could just let this kid come here and torture my son from Sarah because he's, he's, he's my blood. And I just turn a blind eye to bad behavior. Again, a bad boundary. And so he did chew before. He said, look, I, if Hashem wants him to live and his mother to live, that's up to him. I'm going to give them, I'm going to do my minimum hashtabas. I'll give them water for one day and food for one day. And after one day, whatever they want, they have to create that reality. They have to cry out to Hashem and they have to put the effort to survive in this world. And I can't feed this monster anymore. And if he wants to live, he has to do chuba. He has to cry out to Hashem and he has to be able to survive on their own merit. And they did, they did chuba. And because of that chuba, we're still suffering till today. You know, and and we see from here that you, with Yishmael, you have to h- deal with them harshly. They don't understand Puchi Muchi hugs and kisses. They don't understand the language of love and communication. It doesn't work. And you see all, all of these people like the sons of Hamas and all of these people who were once part of their group telling us people like Amisrael, like this is not their language. Like they don't understand loving kindness. It's not their culture. You know what I mean? mean and so the message for for Yishmael is know your enemies know that they don't have the heart that you have know that they don't have the value system that you have and you have to do something about it know that they're not trustworthy when they say you give us some of your land there'll be peace it's not so and more so it's not just that it's their mothers their mothers are feeding them into becoming these renegade soldiers and what you were saying earlier about knowing the limits of your empathy and knowing when empathy is not, you know, warranted and you absolutely need to be angry and you've got to do something. And that's part of becoming, you know, more boundary conscious and building boundaries where you know you need them. So it's really all part of the same lesson here is without boundaries, we're directionless. If we, if we don't do boundaries with people, we're actually dead. We're massacred. It's not even about we're suffering. We're dead. Yeah. So um, we wanted to sort of bring this all together. And we normally, you know, you were on our, our podcast before. So we like to end either with a, either a quote or a parting message. But I feel like what you were saying earlier about being on this road, and then you talked about, you know, the work of God, I just thought of this, a billboard. And if there was a billboard that you could put everywhere, let's just say all over Israel, all over the world, and it could have one message, what would that message be? I think the message would be know your value, know your value. Know that you're worth it. Know that you deserve Geula. Know that you deserve a better life. Know that you deserve a better reality. Know that you can say no. You, Jewish life has value. And that's the message here. They try to make us feel like we don't have value. Our life doesn't have value. It's not true. We have a lot of value. 
And when a person knows their value, they don't have a problem putting boundaries. They don't. And and this whole, whole thing with what just ha- happened to us right now, lack of boundaries, physically, literally, they broke our boundaries. But it came from a place where we didn't have the right mental boundaries. And we didn't understand or see our enemy for what they really were. Yeah. And, and that's a reflection of the Jewish people at large. We never want to see the truth until it's like smack in our face. I mean, think, think about, about Kristallnacht, right? All of the Germans were breaking the stores and they were becoming violent. And, and the German people at the time were like the most educated people in the world. They were so polite that it was known that in Germany, if you ask someone for directions, they would never just give you the directions. They would give you the directions to say, right? as if you knew it. That's how polite they were. You know that I could see that billboard up. Like, I just think it's so important for everybody to see that there's so many self-hating Jews right now and so many fearful Jews who aren't proud of who they are. Like it would be, it's important for each one of us to tell that to ourselves as well. No, in, in all, in all aspects of our life right now, know your value. Know your value. And, and the Jewish people in Germany didn't know their value. They were able to lay that them break their stores. They continued as normal. They just cleaned up the mess and they said, it's going to go away. They closed their eyes. It's going to go away. And the Jewish people today are not saying that anymore. They know it's not going away. They know their value. They know this isn't okay. Nobody wants to live like this anymore. Nobody wants to be massacred for breakfast and on a Shabbos morning on hot you know what I, we're not interested i think in israel everyone sees that sign know your value already i think outside israel we need to put that billboard up <laughs> I, I think that you guys are learning it because you guys are seeing that you're putting posters up and everyone's tearing them down and you guys keep putting the posters back yeah we and do you're fighting. there's many there's many um self-hating jews joining just following others because they're either fearful or they're just following and they don't know their value how much they don't know the value of a Jewish person and how much the, the, the world views a Jewish person because of the moral that we put into the world. Well, I've, I've never been, I've never been prouder to be a Jew in yeah. my life. Ever. I second yeah. you. Same here. So let's be proud together and make a difference. Start doing things that reflect how proud we are. That's right. Know your value. That's, that's my, that's my line that I tell all my clients, know your value. And I think just and it says that we don't even, we don't sin when we know our value. Right. You know that? We don't sin when we know our value because we're too good for sin. When we know our value, we're in touch with our soul and that's, that's Hashem. And so we're not exactly. in touch exactly. with that. Beautiful said. And I think even just that alone, like even when we just tap into that and, and really know our value, that in itself is going to bring light just that in itself yeah definitely all right thank you for having thank me thank you so much and i hope you save it because i want to post it we're saving it we're going to share it too Absolutely. we love you and we love, love this you too come, come visit us come hang out at my house i would love to there's Ratashem in the right time that's right i i came to i came to breakfast that morning you weren't there i know <laughs> Go to Israel. <laughs> okay, it's going to happen. We should all be reunited with the coming of Mashiach. Amen. 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 And whoever can do their own parties and the tambourines, make a movement, make it happen. I love the tambourine idea. Yeah, I think that's. I think everyone should have one at their house and and that, invite their friends. And if everyone did it, then it would spread. Yes, I think I, I agree. 
Okay, so Sarah, send us what you're doing. If send anyone us takes what, any time. what you're doing, and we will share. It. I'm going to videotape it and I'll share it with you guys. 